welcome to Conversations with Healers, a podcast and video interview series that features intimate, soulful, and cozy conversations with self-healers and healers. Healer to healer, we dive into all aspects of self-healing and healing and being and becoming a healer. I am Damla Aktekin. I am a healer and the host of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. If you are new to this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe so that you can be aware of new episodes. I also invite you to visit adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com, where I share a lot of free resources for self-healing and healing, and you can take a free quiz to find out what your energetic wounds are and how they may show up in your life. Discovering what your wounds are is the first step in healing them. I hope you enjoy this episode. There is one more thing I would like to share with you before you listen to this episode. I created a wonderful container to help you heal your energetic wounds and activate the infinite light and potential of your inner children. It is a crystal energy healing membership called Chakra Bliss Vault. Every month you will receive three new crystal healing sessions. Plus, you'll immediately have access to my entire energy healing recording library when you sign up. The membership is really affordable and will continue to be so. You can find out more about it at adropofom.com, A-D-R-O-P-O-F-O-M.com. I invite you to make healing your energetic wounds and connecting with your inner children a priority and invest in your well-being by becoming a Chakra Bliss Vault member. Hello everyone, this is Damla Aktikin and today I have with me Dr. Jude Caravan. Jude, welcome. Thank you, Damla. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. I am so excited to dive into conversation with you, um, but I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, Dr. Jude Caravan is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, and the author of the best-selling and award-winning The Cosmic Hologram and her new, new book, which we will speak in length about, The Story of Gaia. Previously, one of the most senior international businesswomen based in the UK, member of the Evolutionary Leader Circle, and co-founder of Whole World View. She has experienced multidimensional realities since childhood, holds a PhD in archaeology, researching ancient cosmologies, and a master's degree in physics from Oxford University, specializing in cosmology and quantum physics. Her work integrates leading-edge science and universal wisdom teachings, aiming to serve the evolution of consciousness. I'm so happy that you're here, Jude. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you for being here. I am so immaculate. 
Autonomy. It's almost like all this information that I read about, it's, it tells us a little bit of like your story, your evolution in a sense. Um, I want to dive into the book, but can you tell us like in, in a little bit about like your journey coming here? What what led you to get interested in cosmology or even the story of Gaia? What, what was that journey in big brush strokes that led you to where you are now? <laughs> Like in two minutes. <laughs> in two minutes. <laughs> Somebody once asked me, what was my most um, key attribute as a person? And I said, curiosity. So from a very early age, I've just been curious about the nature of reality at its deepest level. And having experienced, you know, what I call multidimensional realities, um, I've walked between worlds all my life. And the grandeur, the wonder, the awe that I feel when, you know, I, I really consider myself a child of our universe, a child of the cosmos, a child of Gaia, um, is so extraordinary. And so it's been a, you know, a lifelong journey of delving deeper and deeper into that deep nature of reality and consciousness. And that's taken me all that scenic route. <laughs> <laughs> meandering but I, I you know somebody once said we 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 um experience life forward and we understand it backwards so what I now realize is all of that um width and breadth of experience has brought me to this place so that finally at this point at any rate I can share the story of Gaia as as in reverence and gratitude for her and for the whole literally the whole world yeah and for our, our listeners who may not know what is Gaia where does the word originate it originates back in ancient Greece and as most of our, our, our listeners will know the ancient Greeks had a whole panoply a pantheon of gods and goddesses but we, we we translate them as gods and goddesses but they were also sort of archetypes and so for the ancient Greeks named the goddess of the earth Gaia. And some years ago, a pioneering scientist called James Lovelock um, began to understand that our planetary home is a completely interconnected and interdependent system, as he would have described it. I would go further and say that our planetary home is a sentient being, is a conscious being in a living, conscious and evolving universe. So he termed his hypothesis of this interconnectedness the Gaia hypothesis, referring back to the Greeks. And I've told the story of Gaia because now all the leading edge evidence is showing at a much deeper level of reality that she truly is our mother, our primordial mother, as a living and evolving planetary home. I, I love that. And I think... Um... As I was reading through your book, what struck me was, um, first of all, you have these different ways of wording things that give them a different or more deeper meaning. You don't call it the solar system. You call it S-O-U-L-E-L-A-R, solar system. And then, um, I mean, it's almost like you're giving voice and meaning to the solar system and you're 
retelling the story of Gaia as a story of love, relationship, and evolution. Can you tell us about like what led you to tell it that way? And why was it so important to you to retell this story as a story of uh, love, really? Well, you know, our, our mainstream um, collective worldview has been based on a mainstream science that tells us we're part of a meaningless, purposeless universe where evolution is, is random, is driven by random occurrences, and that over its whole life, eventually, it was able to evolve to a position where consciousness could somehow arise from human brains yeah and now we're we're understanding and have the evidence at all scales of existence for and across many many different fields of research to turn this completely on its head and what we're rediscovering is what the ancients understood in, in actually quite a more limited way because they didn't know about evolutionary processes they didn't really know of the cosmos beyond the visible stars that they could see we now can peer far, far further out and far smaller and see the whole of our universe. But what is being revealed is what they understood and experienced their lives as. In other words, we are microcosms, co-creators of a living universe, a conscious universe that meaningfully exists and purposefully evolves and not by, and not by random mutations, but, but intelligently guided from simplicity to ever, level, ever greater levels of complexity. And so that, it, that completely changes our view of ourselves because our universe is innately meaningful and purposeful. So we are. Our universe exists and evolves a unified entity. So we're inseparable. It evolves from simplicity to complexity. So we have an evolutionary purpose. And maybe that's now to literally remember this. And instead of being rather naughty children of our planetary mother, we grow up to stand with her as her co-evolutionary partners, instead of naughty human beings, perhaps to mature as Gaians. And so this is why the book wrote me because I feel it did rather than me writing it. But it's also only now that all of this evidence has come forward literally in the last few years in such a compelling way from the scale of the smallest scale of our universe to its entirety and across so many different fields of study that this story can be told. And this remembering from our collective dis-ease of separation can be shared. Yeah. And in the book, you're also sharing with the scientific and, and the, the physics and cosmology based reasoning for what you're just telling, like you're, you're referencing quite a bit of impressive research and information, as well as what I find the, um, the poetic view of what you're saying, the meaningfulness, the love, the connection. Um, can you, can we go back to, because you, are renaming Big Bang, you're calling it the big breath, and you're saying everything breathes, the universe breathes. Can you tell us about the big breath? I'll be delighted to, because um, 
Our universe, as far as we can tell it now, began 13.8 billion years ago. But when we say it began as a big bang, it wasn't big and it wasn't a bang. <laughs> it was minute. It began in its tiniest form. But also when, if I say the word bang, what, what comes to mind for you? Explosion. Yeah. Yeah. And Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the way it began. It began in extremely ordered and incredibly fine-tuned way and from that initial moment that first moment of space-time it's it, as space has expanded and as time's flowed ever since it, it is this ongoing big breath it wasn't a single event it was the beginning of the breathing the life cycle of our universe and the ancient Indian uh, teachers and mystics called rishis also talked about the breath of Brahman, the out-breath of God. So our universe is much more akin to that perception. And when I say everything breathes, I mean, human beings breathe, planets do breathe, plants breathe. But our entire universe in that sense of its whole life cycle comprising of this big breath of space expanding and time flowing forward, for me, it, it gives us a much deeper felt sense of being part of this, whereas the Big Bang never did, and, and it, it's not accurate. Yeah. So that's why, that's why I renamed this ongoing, joyous, experiential wonder that we call our universe. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things I especially loved in your book is um, at the beginning of each chapter, you're sort of going in at what you called at the beginning multi-dimensional journey like you go into like feel into big bang or or another moment in the evolution and see how that feels for you um which is beautiful and which brings me to like you also have what i feel is a different view and a definition for the word evolution can you tell us a little bit more about that be happy to. I mean, you know, we usually speak of evolution in terms of biological evolution. And in a, a universe that where we now know through all the evidence we have that it's rather a great thought than a great thing, that mind and consciousness are not what we have, but literally what we and the whole world are. So our universe exists and evolves as a conscious, living and evolutionary and non-locally unified entity so evolution then is from that very first moment of an ongoing big breath 13.8 billion years ago from simplicity to ever greater levels of complexity and what the evidence is pointing to is our universe plans ahead so all the laws of physics are there from the very get-go that enable that relationships that you, you were talking of. You know, what we're discovering is a science of love, where love is that fundamental wholeness of our universe and everything within it. So evolution then is purposeful. It's guided intelligently into those ever greater levels of complexity and, and diversity and self-individuated self-awareness. So 13.8 billion years later, here we are. 
Yeah. And it seems to me also from the way you describe it, self-awareness, not in the sense that you become like an isolated individual thought or a person or a rock, um, but there is this interdependent, collaborative, co-creative thing going on between us and and the multiverse. Um, and one of the things that struck me was um, you were like towards the end of this, you were sitting, there's a moment where you're sitting and listening to um, the caterpillars and <laughs> you asked them, why did you evolve metamorphosis and their responses to explore the boundaries of what's possible? But it seems to me there's, in order to explore the possibilities of what's possible, it's almost like we we need to depend on each other within the species, interspecies, and beyond that with Gaia, other planets. Like, how do you see that interdependence or what you call interbeing in the book? Well, you said it so beautifully yourself. It, it is that sense of, you know, we talk about, we're talking more about this now. Now we're understanding the wholeness of, of our world. Now we're understanding that we're essentially inseparable. As we wake up to that realization and that experiential perception and awareness of this, we enter into completely different relationships or experiential relationships when we can see each other as fellow souls, you know, fellow adventurers and explorers in this great adventure. And we know now the evidence absolutely is that the whole world of our universe is completely, not just interdependent, but what's called non-locally unified. So our universe literally exists and evolves as a unified entity. So when we realize that, we also realize that we're, we're microcosmic co-evolutionary partners of its evolutionary impulse. And so on a planetary scale, you know, we, because of our, you know, collective, what I call our collective dis-ease of the appearance of separation, uh, separation, the illusion of separation, we've acted accordingly. If we believe we're separate, we, we behave separately. And although some of us may want to collaborate more than others, a worldview of separation does drive a, a world of suffering, of inequalities, of injustices, of conflicts quite naturally and yet when we wake up to remember our unity and diversity if conflict is a, a natural outcome for a worldview and an awareness of separation then peace is a natural outcome of a worldview of wholeness and surely the way we've treated our planetary home is is you know the the example of that worldview of separation so when we can heal our relationship with our primary mother, Earth, Gaia, that is such a wonderful way of supporting our healing of ourselves. Yeah. Because we're healing on that inner and outer level with perhaps the most primordial and primary relationship we have as human beings. 
as guidance. Yeah, which brings me to one of the things you bring into the story, which was lovely, was um, this idea of seeing um, the parental care of Sol, the sun, and Luna, the moon, for their child, Gaia. So Sol being the father and Luna being the mother, which takes it from them being things to... And you explain it so beautifully why you consider that with with all the all the cosmology facts, but it it takes it from um this material view to what you described beautifully, um the idea of relationship, but not just any relationship. It's like a very essential kind of relationship and you describe the planets as Gaia's siblings and we we as the Gaia's organic children um how did that come about for you did you always see it that way or was this a journey that you yourself got on as as you dove into the story of Gaia in terms of soul and Luna being parents it's, it's what I've always perceived, and I've had the great fortune, the great good fortune, to live amongst and learn from indigenous communities. And so the indigenous communities, you know, in their own ways, usually do identify father, son, mother, moon, or sister, moon, sometimes, with Gaia as, as a sort of trinity relationship. And I've always had that sense. And of course, when, you know, I was writing the, the, the sort of the evidential relationship between them, that was exactly what came forward. And, and the whole sort of, as you know, having read that part of the book, you know, um, when our planetary system was born from what had been an interstellar dust cloud with already full of a birthing cloud, full of all the you know, pre-organic uh, building blocks of, of biological life, water, uh, light, all of the, all of the, so that when the planetary system came into being, it was like, you know, it was gifted with this wondrous nurturing abundance to be able to take that, you know, that whole evolutionary story to greater levels of complexity still. And I suppose what I did feel though, writing the book, and I keep saying the book wrote, wrote me and I really feel it did. I, when I completed writing it, I began feeling unity and diversity and unity and inclusion. I ended up feeling a very personal sense of belonging, of belonging to Gaia, to the whole world, to, to the whole universe. And, and belonging is different, isn't it? Because when you know you belong, you don't have to ask permission to show up. You don't have permission. Ask permission to be there because you belong. So certainly that was something that very powerfully came through for me. And I know some of the, the folks who have, you know, very early readers such as yourself have felt. Um, and the other thing that came forward so strongly was this deeply embodied impulse to evolve. Now, as I said right at the beginning, you know, the laws of physics were all there from the very get-go to enable our universe to exist and evolve. But our universe, you know, also ensured a sort of a sense of preparation. So sometimes millions, sometimes tens or even hundreds of millions of years before something was needed, it was there just waiting just waiting, just waiting and ready. 
to then take things on to the next level of that evolutionary impulse. And that, that brought me to tears because it was like, my goodness, what an incredible intention. What an incredible purpose. What an incredible everything to sort of undertake this incredible journey, this amazing journey of life. Yeah. For all these years and ongoing and ongoing in its evolutionary impulse. Yeah. As as you're speaking, what's coming to me is um um similar to what you described in the book like you 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 tune into caterpillars and you sit and listen to a slime mold which i love that um or plant life or even the big bang um one of the things i do in my work is i tune and listen and listen to crystals and minerals and my sense there when i do that is this like incredible longer view because they're in no rush <laughs> And we, as the liquid crystalline children, we are always in a rush and we're always changing in the world. I mean, two things, I guess, they're, they're so beautifully, perfectly, geometrically formed, and we keep forming and reforming and going into chaos and reorganizing. So we have a um, speed to our change and evolution, I guess. Uh, but also this, this sense of, as I began to um, tune into crystals, my sense was I started to see them everywhere. Our DNA is crystalline. So any being with DNA, we have DNA. So we're, we're kin, we are, you know, in relation, we are literally made up of the building blocks of the universe. Mm -hmm. So which brings me to, um, you you talk about the science of love and you talk about universe soul. Um, what is the thing that um, animates it for lack of, better, of a better word? So what do you think is, um, other than evolution, is there another impulse or is it is it the main thing? I know when you talk about relationships, there's, there's a, a, a hint of them being gentle and kind and and co-creative meaning benefiting both parties does that inherently mean love like how do you define love and what's the the animating or or the intentional force behind the universal according to you well i guess the, the point is to to get out of our human sense of this because so much of of what we are of course is how it relates to us yeah what the story of Gaia is about would be the story of Gaia in a way, regardless of whether human beings were ultimately part of the story of Gaia. I mean, what we, what we now know cosmologically by looking at solar systems beyond our own, that, and I mentioned this towards the end, I think, we now, from the work we've done so far, think there are more planets in our galaxy than stars. So if that pertains to every galaxy in our universe, there are untold trillions and trillions of planets. Now, it may be that not all of them can ultimately be able to nurture biological life. Gaia can because she's a water planet. So she has liquid water, which is absolutely vital for biological organisms. But there may be many other forms of, 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 of um 
of sentient, there is, I mean, the whole universe is sentient, is conscious. So it is a living universe way beyond any perspective of biological life. So in that sense, we also have a perception that you said what sort of creates it? Well, cosmic mind, if we, if we have a sense of an infinite and eternal cosmos, then as Einstein said, we might call it cosmic mind, we might call it God, we might call it great spirit, we might call it Allah, we might call it great mystery. But beyond the finiteness of our universe as a great thought form of that infinite eternal cosmos, then why would cosmic mind create a universe? Why would you create a universe? Uh, why would I? <laughs> why would you create a universe? I think what comes to mind as you say that is what you mentioned at the beginning, that awe, that joy of experiencing. Um, I guess I would I would be curious. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And I asked that question of why right up front and then right at the end, I sort of sense that there is an answer and it is about curiosity. It's a, it's a curious cosmos <laughs> that chooses to create universes in such a way that that curiosity can be played out in this incredible radical diversity within, you know, the unity expressed in radical diversity and, and a journey and an evolutionary arc to self-aware, individuated self-aware beings like us. But there may be, as I say, trillions of planets not everyone is as special as Guy. Guy's extraordinary special. We know that. But, you know, even if there's only a, bil only a billion planets that can harbour this level of complexity, then that, for a universe, is still an, incredibly an incredible playground mm. to experience curiosity. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I think, I mean, all of what, what you're talking about, um, Jude and everything we've talked about so far it just feels so naturally true for me like I feel into it and it feels expanded it feels true for for me and I know not everyone sees it that way hence the current relationship and current situation we have with within our species and with Gaia um what's the next step I mean what's the next maybe um small step for someone to begin to open up to our interconnectedness and interrelation and interbeing. Absolutely. Well, before I answer that, and, and, and I agree, Dhamma, that is vital. Yeah, how each of us can sort of hear this and how it lands for us. Do we have that aha, that natural sense? Or are we going, hang on a minute, how could this be real? Well, for the hang on a minute, how could this be real? I wrote the book because the book, as you know, is full of evidence. It's not just my ideas or the ideas of, of you know, 5,000 years of mysticism or, or spiritual traditions or indigenous teachings. It's all of that. Plus, it's now leading edge science has come to stand alongside those traditions with the same message of unity in diversity and belonging. And I think things are changing more rapidly than we might have thought they might for two reasons. One, our dis-ease of separation 
is no longer sustainable. We will, we will, if we continue as we are, we will separate ourselves into extinction, essentially. But the wonderful news is that unity is not an ideal, it's real. It's not an aspiration, it is our existential reality. So acting, even if it's acting as if, what does that call us to? But we now know that the evidence is grounding us in underpinning and framing us and holding a comfort blanket around us to say, this is it, this is what we can be. And certainly this, even the last few months, the Nobel prizes for physics this year, a few weeks ago, were offered to three people, two of whom, Alan Aspect and Anton Zeilinger, have been researching what I'm sharing for decades and experimentally proving that that interrelatedness, that ultimate unity is the true reality of our universe. And they've just got Nobel prizes for physics, which are never given for conjecture. They're only given when the evidence is so strong that the Nobel committee trusts that evidence to such a degree that they will give those prizes. And I'm seeing now in mainstream science magazines, such as New Scientist, um, interviews with cosmologists who are saying, we know now that space and time are not fundamental. They arise from something deeper. They don't yet themselves know what that deepness is, but they're acknowledging it. And there was an op-ed uh, op in the New York Times again a few weeks ago about the holographic universe which is what I write about. If it's getting in now to mainstream science magazines and if it's being given Nobel Prizes for, I think we're on the threshold of a major, major revolutionary moment in the way we see ourselves and the whole world. And that's the story of Gaia. That's the cosmic hologram. And that can empower us to take little steps it can empower us to link up and lift up together. It can empower us to remember who we really are and healing our relationships with ourselves and each other and Gaia. You know, it can, it can empower us and inspire us in ways tiny. Yeah, even if it's just going outside. And I, 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 I had a, a conversation yesterday about water. The hydrogen in the water of our bodies is as old as the universe. Can you imagine that? So when you drink a glass of water, instead of just drinking a glass of water because you're thirsty, you're, you're holding the whole universe in your hand. You're holding the entire story of our universe in your hands. So when you drink that water, you're literally enabling it to re- imbue the liquid crystal that we are, the hologram that we are, with that 13.8 billion year story. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think what I'm hearing is hope. I'm also hearing in what you're describing a lot of personal choice to begin to, to take it on to yourself to begin to see things differently open up to even your daily life something as simple as drinking water 
differently um, and engaging with the life that's here for you and through you differently. Um, one question I want to ask you is when you wrote this book and as you continue to be with her, what does Gaia want and need us to know? What's her message? It's funny, you know, when you when you ask what she needs from us, because I think like any good mother, she doesn't need anything from her children. She gives unconditional love. She unconditionally loves us. She doesn't really ask for much in return. She really doesn't. But she deserves so much in return. Yeah? At the end of the book, I write uh, a little piece that I wrote on Mother's Day. And for me, every day is Mother's Day. But it, it, part of it says, you taught me to know myself through knowing you. You taught me to love myself through loving you. And that is the relationship that I feel I have with Gaia. And I feel that is our natural heritage of being children of Gaia. And we've come into this naughty, teenage, stroppy years. But now we need to grow up. Because if we don't grow up, Gaia cannot go on because she does embody this evolutionary impulse. She's invested so much in us. But her evolutionary impulse, which is part of the universe's evolutionary impulse, is so deep that if we cannot answer her invitation to grow up, she will move on, I feel, without us. And it's not that she doesn't love us, but she cannot. Her impulse is so deep. If we refuse to grow up, if we say no at this moment of choice, then she deserves better than us. <laughs> she truly deserves better. Right. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So it's a little bit like um, what we do with her, how we engage with her is, is a direct reflection of how we engage with ourselves and perhaps looking into that relationship. How do you engage with yourself and um spending some time on bringing love to that first. <laughs> Ab absolutely, absolutely. Because when we love ourselves, we, we naturally feel love for others. You know, we, we can't not because we are inseparable. But if we put ourselves down for whatever reason and cannot feel that self-love, but when we do feel that self-love, to allow it to bubble up within us and express itself in love for others, for Gaia and all her children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautifully put. Um, Jude, I love asking this question to my guests. This is more of a personal question, but I feel ev as everything's interconnected. But I would love to know... Um, what are you learning and relearning right now in your own personal evolutionary journey? To I, I guess it, it's I love the word you said it's journey, isn't it? 
and it's an ongoing journey. So there's always more to learn. There's always more to, you know, refine in, in an experiential embodied way. So, you know, I, I still have my grumpy moments. <laughs> Trust me, my husband will tell you, I have my grumpy moments. <laughs> so to sort of gently dissolve those grumpy moments um, is, is an ongoing journey. To continue to live in ever-present wonder and joy and love and gratitude life and I don't mean just human life life the whole of our universal's life and to for me to really appreciate the small things you know be really grateful for the very small things because sometimes you know we, we we think well what have I got to be grateful for a rotten day it's been terrible people have shouted me I've done this you know and and so what I do is 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 every moment to find gratitude you know does my tea ta I actually made a cup of tea today where I put the wrong tea bag in so instead of ordering tea I put a, a nettle tea bag in and then put milk in and it was like white tea and I thought what is this no this can't be right I must have missed out the tea bag so I put in the you know an ordinary tea bag and then my tea tasted of half nettle and half ordinary tea so I was grateful because I'd never tasted anything like that before. <laughs> Talk about evolutionary impulse there. Evolutionary impulse. <laughs> Absolutely. And my husband, who was expecting a nettle tea, got a very strong non-nettle tea and wondered what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's gratitude. And, and we both just laughed. So it's it's, it's gratitude for the, for the new adventure of nettle, non-nettle tea. And also just be able to laugh together about it. So it's tiny moments mm -hmm. to be grateful for. Yeah. And connected to that, what are you next curious about? Because I'm sure you already have real turning for the, for the next thing you're working on. We'd love to know what that is. Well, a lot of things. I mean, today we're having this conversation on the 1st of November which is the first day that the story of Gaia is available in the, in the USA. So it's a day of celebration in that regard. So what will come from that, I have no idea. And, um, but wonderful things, I trust. But also we had a, a, a launch in the UK uh, on the 20th of October, a hundred change makers from government and heads of organizations, environmental folks, educators, musicians, artists of all sorts, scientists, journalists, you know, a wide range of change makers all coming together with a view of, 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 of sort of taking forward this understanding of unity in diversity. And already the cross-pollination and the linking up and lifting up has already been extraordinary. So how to bring that forward? And then also, um, I, I'm a member of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle. So doing a lot with our synergy circles, again, to bring this unitive understanding and this unitive narrative into as many fields and to share with as many people as possible. And then also the next book. <laughs> the next book. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I love your view of, first of all, it gives me a lot of 
hope and this again this sense of expandedness to to hear you talk about our interconnectedness and also i mean we do have we do disconnect from ourselves we do disconnect from the planet but what i'm hearing you say is like even when you feel disconnected you cannot be disconnected can't be absolutely we truly are inseparable but as you say you can feel disconnected and the appearance of our universe does look separate but it's only its appearance it's not its deep fundamental true reality and we're now understanding its truer unity and we can therefore trust in each other trust in ourselves trust in our relationships because we can trust then in the wholeness of reality itself yeah yeah and um thank you so much for all the work that you do to keep reminding us that to keep reminding us that it's true because we we as a species we forget I mean I forget like 100 times throughout today and then I have to re remind myself as you said with the tea example um I think what you're doing is tremendous in showing us um not just the retelling of the story of Gaia but showing us there can be a science of love there can be a science of connection and um this has been tremendous. Thank you so much, Jude. Thank you for being here. Is there any final words you want to say to our listeners? Just to thank everybody who are listening to us, because you guys are already on a healing journey. You're already remembering who you really are. You are already a conscious part of Gaia's story. And you have the opportunity now to choose to step into that destiny as her co-evolutionary partner. And it's a welcome invitation to an amazing and ongoing big breath of an adventure for you and for all of us. So thank you for being here. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. And I'm going to include information about your website and where and how to find the book which I recommend everyone thank you so so much thank you Damla and thank and bless you for all you're doing we're all doing it together this is the beauty of it you know when we link up and lift up we're all doing it together yeah like Indra's net just picking up beautifully put <laughs> Indra's net picking Indra. up your corner of the universe thank you Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Conversations with Healers. If this episode spoke to you in any way, please leave a review or comment, like or love it, and share it with others in your life. This is a true soul love project from my heart to yours. I really appreciate your help in spreading the word. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and check out other episodes to listen to some extraordinary healing stories and advice. Have a beautiful and wonderful day.